Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Many of you know my story. I grew up in a Roman Catholic church, and so from the age of zero to 15, I grew up uh, as a Roman Catholic. Uh, That's what my parents was, that's where their parents were, and so forth and so on. And so early on in my journey with God, I saw him as grand, mighty, strong, powerful, yet distant. And so a part of the Catholic Church is doing what's called uh, getting confirmed. It's It's doing these 12 different steps in order to be confirmed by the Catholic Church and ultimately by God, that you are part of this kind of family unit uh, called Roman Catholicism. And so a part of that whole process was something called your first confession. And so around the age of seven or eight, don't think uh, confession as like uh, confess your sins one to another and therefore pray for one another and be healed. Uh, Think rather you're seven or eight and you're gonna go into a room with someone who you've never met before, uh, who is a priest. And in their line of thinking, you have to confess your sins to this priest in order for him to confess that to God and then for you to be forgiven. And so I remember uh, being seven or eight and I was standing uh, with my other seven or eight year old friends and they gave us this little card that said, uh, my name is Derek and I am here to confess. And then there's just a blank. And so you had to fill in all the little things that you've ever done as a seven or eight year old. And so again, I was eight. So I didn't have this large like, kind of background of things that I wanted to confess or knew to confess. There was things that I had done, surely, and as I look back on my life, there was a lot of stuff that I had done. But in that moment, all I could really think of was just a couple of things. And so I wrote out, I've been mean to my sister, uh, which what eight-year-old boy isn't. Um, I-, I took a Hot Wheels from daycare, and uh, really the worst one was I watched Saved by the Bell Hawaiian style uh, when my mom told me not to. So, you know, a product of a misspent youth. Uh, but I walked in and I saw this guy I'd never met before and he just, he, he just seemed so like big um, because I was so small and I, and I shared all this stuff with him and he listened and then he said this. It's a statement that has really haunted me for years and it has determined a lot about what I think about myself and I think about God and it's something I still have to fight against because I just confessed my sins to this individual who was supposed to be this representative of God in that moment. And he said, thank you for sharing. Save five Our Fathers and 10 Hail Marys and God will forgive you. And so in that moment, what he was saying to me was you need to do certain things in order for God to accept you and like you. And so he said, go say five Our Fathers, which was for me hard at the time because I actually had a speech impediment until about middle school in which I couldn't say half the alphabet and ours were the hardest thing to say. And so saying five Our Fathers was really hard uh, for me. But what was even harder for me was this, into that little heart of a seven and eight-year-old became this formula. I perform. And therefore, I'm accepted. I need to perform before God. I need to do certain things before God. I need to say these certain things. I need to pray this certain way. And therefore, he will forgive me. Therefore, he will love me. Therefore, he will accept me. And the truth is, that created this anxiety, this fear, and a constant battle in my mind that I just was never enough. And as I grew up, this little lie began to grow. I was literally being incepted. 
like this, this lie that was so deep into my mind and my heart began to be exacerbated by different authority figures in my life. And so I remember uh, in uh, middle school, whenever I was still struggling to say certain words, uh, specifically the, the, the letter R, I just couldn't say it. And so all of a sudden, I remember my teacher putting me outside in the hallway so that she could focus in on the other smart kids because I wasn't worth her time. I couldn't perform for her and therefore I wasn't accepted by her. In high school, I had a wrestling coach that I really looked up to and I was in high school, uh, good, not great at wrestling. And so sometimes I won, sometimes I lost. And so when I win, he would come up to me and celebrate me. But when I lost, he literally would leave the room. And so I saw very early on, man, I gotta perform to be accepted by this guy. Went off to college, went off to you know, the real world afterwards and had a boss and someone who I performed for. And he thought, man, whenever I kind of am doing the things that make him look good, he begins to praise me and exalt me. But whenever I don't, man, he would pull me into his office and yell at me because I wasn't performing to his standards. And so this little lie right here, I performed, therefore I, I'm accepted, became so true in how I saw myself and I saw others and ultimately how I saw God. And I'm imagining that I'm not the only one in here. Like this lie right here is so pervasive in our world today, isn't it? It's so silly, but it's also so satanic. It's from the devil, it's evil. That this mindset that you have to perform in order to be accepted by God or by others. And so what happens for so many of us is maybe you had a parent, maybe you had a friend, Maybe you had a coworker or a coach or a teacher or a family member or a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you so wanted to be accepted by them that you did anything and you did some things that you now regret. Because all the while you had this daunting question that was permeating your mind and your heart, am I really loved? Am I really cared for? Because the only way I know how to interact in this world is I have to perform and therefore I'm accepted, therefore I'm loved. And so we kind of run this race in our life. And when we do that, when we operate under this formula, we then hear about this individual named God. And we just assume that because this is the way the world works, God works that way. And so I have to perform before him in order to be accepted by him. And so I have to do certain things and act certain ways in order for him to love me, in order for him to like me. And let me tell you, as someone who has lived under that lie, it's exhausting. It's tiring. Because no matter how much you perform, you'll always be wondering, am I enough? Am I really loved? Am I really cared for? And so for me, for so many years, I operated under that lie. I perform and therefore I'm accepted. And so when I came to God, man, I just tried so hard to, to, to obey out of my own self-righteousness. And when I would do that, I would feel like he was like this, this coach that was just on this massive swivel chair. And when I did well, he would just celebrate me and, and hold me up and, and cheer me on. But when I didn't, that chair would just swivel backwards. And I didn't perform for him. Therefore, I wasn't accepted by him. And all he wanted me to do was to go and clean up my mess. And whenever I did that, whenever I read the Bible enough, and whenever I prayed enough, whenever I was, went a couple of weeks without doing that same old sin that I kept on going back to, whenever that happened, then he would turn back around and begrudgingly be okay with me. That was me for years. Then Jesus walked into my life. And everything changed. Because when Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. And so we're in a series right now through the book of John called Encountering Jesus. 
And the heart of this series is really that we would sit with Jesus as he sits with us. And one of my prayers for all of us in this series is that we would just feel this dense reality that the God of the universe wants to have a conversation with you, wants to take the lies that you believe about God, about yourself and about others, these silly satanic lies that we are constantly believing and that are on the background track of our lives that dictate the flow of our life, that we would sit with Jesus and he would unveil those lies. And he would reveal the truth of the love that God has for us. Because that's exactly what our prayer has been for you and for us and for me. It's exactly what we see in John chapter three. As Jesus is gonna sit down with a guy named Nicodemus, a guy who had bought into this lie fully, I perform and therefore I am accepted. And Jesus is going to rock his world. And he's gonna break the formula. And he's gonna show and reveal the very heart of God, which is love. And if we can get this right, then we can breathe. We can walk in freedom. We don't have to be on this treadmill, constantly running and never going anywhere. We can step off and we can receive the very love of God and it'll mark how we live our lives. Not to win his smile, but because we already have it. So Jesus is gonna sit down and he's gonna reveal this lie to Nicodemus. So let's sit with him. Let's hear what he has to say. It says in verse one this. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And so right here, we find out a lot of stuff about this guy named Nicodemus. We find out first and foremost that he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a group of people that had gotten together and said, hey, how are we to please God? How can we get accepted by God? How can we live our lives in such a way in which God will love us? And they go, I know, performance. There's 613 laws of the Old Testament and they go, we're gonna do every single one of them so that we can be accepted by God and we can be accepted by one another. And so we're going to add laws to that just to be safe, just to be sure. And so this was a religious system that believed wholeheartedly that lie. I perform and therefore I'm accepted by God. And so that's who Nicodemus is. But it says that not only is he a Pharisee, it says that he is a ruler of the Jews. He is at the top of the system. So everyone would have seen him as the guy that was living this idea out. I perform, I'm accepted. He was the top of the system, a guy who had performed, performed, performed. He was the Ned Flanders of Pharisees. I'm a product of the 90s, people, I'm sorry. But here's the reality. He, he had all of this. He was the best that Israel had to offer. And yet it says he came to Jesus by night. And so we see this guy who is simultaneously curious about what Jesus might have to say while also being concerned what of all of his buddies might think of him. You see that word night is a theme throughout the book of John. There's this play on words constantly of light and darkness, night and day. And so anytime night is used, it's meant to show this like spiritual darkness that Nicodemus was a guy who had done all the right things, but he had missed out on the relationship. So he sees these signs that Jesus does and he goes, hey, I'm kind of curious about maybe what you have to say. But he says he comes to him and he completely misses who Jesus is. Because did you notice what he calls him? 
He calls him rabbi, a teacher from God. If you remember back to that first week, we talked about that Jesus is gonna reveal these different names for who he is, and rabbi is one of them. But there's six other names that talk about who Jesus is in the totality. And so rabbi just meant a teacher. And so Nicodemus kind of sees this guy and goes, okay, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher. Let's have a conversation about how to behave better so that God will love us, God will like us. That's why I'm coming to you. And so I have to believe that there's something going on in Nicodemus's heart. Because who is he? He's a guy who who's excels in religion, but he misses out on the relationship. He's a guy who has studied the word of God but misses out on the God of the word. He's a guy who performs to be accepted but then he sees Jesus doing these signs, doing these wonders. And I have to believe that something triggers in Nicodemus's hearts. Something begins to stir up in him. That he's at the top of this religious system and yet he still feels like it's not enough. He's still afraid. He's still unsure if he's done all the right things in order to please this God. So he sees another teacher. He says, maybe this guy has an answer. Why do I think that about Nicodemus? Because that's what I lived under for years. That I had done all the right things. I had said all the right things. And yet I was entirely, completely exhausted. Then I came to trust Christ. And things begin to change, but then I begin to drift back into that performance-based acceptance. I didn't have community around me. I wasn't plugged into a local church. And so I just reverted back to that same sin struggle. I have to do stuff for God to like me. And then I came here and I went through region and I knew that I performed in order to be accepted, but I didn't know why. So I went through this 12-step process. And if region was just about 12 steps to a better life, we would stop it tomorrow. Region is about sitting with Jesus and, and understanding who he is and then understanding who you are and understanding how, how he relates to you. And so I did that for a year. And you know what I found out? I knew walking in that I performed to be accepted, but I left their understanding I perform because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm not lovable. I'm afraid that if somebody really knew the real me, that if my wife knew the real me, my boss knew the real me, my friends knew the real me, that they wouldn't love me just for me, that I wasn't enough. And so I had to perform. I had to put this facade up. I had to kill myself just to make sure that every single person in my world thought I was doing good, thought I was doing okay, and they could look at the performance and go, look at him because I was so terrified that if they actually looked at me, they wouldn't love me. And I found this quote a while back of someone that just said it so well. They said, my drive in life comes from the fear of being mediocre. I push past one spell of it and discover myself a special human being. I, I perform today, but then tomorrow, then I feel that I'm still mediocre and I'm uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My, my struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Any of you feel like that? I do. You know who said that? Madonna. 
So think of you what you will about her. She's actually hitting on this lie that we all believe. I perform and therefore I'm accepted. And if you know her story, she just keeps performing and she keeps on doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And because she's not tethered into the person and work of Jesus Christ, what happens in her life? Her life keeps spiraling further and further out of control because I gotta do the next thing. I gotta do the next thing. I gotta perform greater. I gotta be more outlandish. I gotta be more loved. I gotta be more this and more that. And that is us. We just don't typically hit the top of the spectrum. So we live our lives on this hamster wheel, always running and never arriving. And so who is Nicodemus? He's definitely me. He's apparently Madonna as well. And I'm imagining he's a lot of you. I perform, therefore I'm accepted. I don't perform and I'm not accepted. You might not think about it in those terms, but so many of us wake up each day with this lie just on autopilot in our minds. And so we think to ourselves, hey, I got that job. I got that promotion. I got that raise. I'm a success. Or I didn't get that job. I didn't get that raise. I didn't get that promotion. I'm a failure. I posted that thing online and and so many people responded to me. People must like me, people must love me. Or I posted that thing online and nobody responded and five people defriended me. I guess people don't really like me. My kids are so well behaved. I must be an amazing parent doing everything right. I should write a book. Or my kids won't eat their carrots. I'm a terrible parent and I must be doing everything wrong in my life. I've thought both of those within a 30-minute period, just to be authentic here. (laughs) Safe place, people. You see, we think about these constantly, and then we interact with God, and we project that on Him, and we begin to think things like, hey, I had a good time with the Lord today. He, He must be really pleased with me. Or I haven't been able to get into the Word lately, and so He must be upset with me. I've completed regen and re-engage and merge and I lead Bible studies. I'm I'm this amazing Christian. I must be really needed by God. I've been struggling with the same sin for years. I, I guess God's done with me. Or how about this? Life is going really good right now. God must be rewarding me. Or life is really hard right now. God must be punishing me. What are we doing? We're living under this lie. I perform, therefore I'm accepted. And if I don't perform, I'm not gonna be accepted. And so you better believe I'm gonna just keep driving, keep going, keep killing myself to perform because I'm so scared I won't be accepted. I won't be loved. You with me? The question we have to now wrestle with is this. What if that equation was flipped? What if instead of I perform, therefore I'm accepted, there was somebody that came along who was so loving, so gracious, so kind, so forgiving, that he would look at you and know all your successes and all your sins and simply say, I love you. What if there was someone like that? And that to be with him and to be around him 
would to know that that little cup in my heart that just so desires to be accepted would be totally full and filled by him, that I wouldn't need to get it from anyone else. And then it would actually free me to overflow with the very love that I'm receiving, that I might love him back, but then love other people around me. What if there was a person like that? Well, in walks Jesus. You see, when we recognize the lie, we can receive and rejoice in the truth all the more. And Jesus is gonna replace these lies that we have in our head by the very truth that God has come to show us his love. Nicodemus and many of us believe, I perform, therefore I'm accepted. And Jesus thinks something very different. He says in verse three, he says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so if you know, wanna know where Jesus jukes begin, right here. This was Jesus doing a Jesus juke. Nicodemus walks into the scene and goes, hey, you're a teacher from God. And Jesus goes, you have to be born again. Like he immediately goes for the heart. And I love this because it says Jesus answered him where Nicodemus never asked a question. And yet Jesus sees this facade this guy has and he speaks straight through that to the very heart of Nicodemus. And he says to him, truly, truly, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I know you've seen all my signs leading you to this conversation, but there's something I want you to see. And it's the very kingdom of God that I've ushered in to this world and I want you to know me as that king. And then he uses this word over and over. Eight times he uses the word born. He wants you to be born again. And I love that word again because it's actually the Greek word um, anthon, which can mean born again, but it also simultaneously means born from above. So watch this. Nicodemus believes, I must do, I must perform to be accepted by God. And Jesus just said, what you have to do is something you can't do. You must be born again. That you weren't a part, you weren't responsible for your physical birth. I had no say in the process. It just kind of happened. And what he's saying here is the same thing must happen when the spirit of God does a work in your heart. And just to make sure he gets it, he uses another analogy, one of the wind. He says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The, the wind, it, it blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. He's saying there's something that has to happen in you. The spirit of God must do a work in you and you can't control it. You can't determine its outcome, but you can see the effects of it in your life. And so Nicodemus is totally being unraveled in this moment. His entire worldview, his entire system has said one central idea, perform, be accepted. Do, and God will like you. And Jesus is saying, what you have to do, you can't do. The spirit of God has to do something in you. And so he's literally saying, what you need to do, Nicodemus, is something you can't do. No matter how much you perform, you will never perform enough to be accepted by God. And this is blowing Nicodemus' mind. And that's why he says, how can these things be? This is not the worldview that I've lived under. 
And so Jesus finally, having unraveled this lie, Nicodemus finally asked the right question. And Jesus will look at him and he just will so love this guy. And he'll say in verse 13, he goes, you know how this can be? He'll say, you know, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Nicodemus, nobody has done something, earned their way to heaven. Nobody has performed so well that God was just like, come on in. I mean, like, 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 like I made it hard for everyone, but, but like, like, look, you, you were perfect through your life. I mean, my son was amazing, but you're like a, you're like a number two to hit. Like, 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 well done. He says, nobody has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, that there was one who came down. And it's not just a rabbi, not just some teacher. It's the son of God who became the son of man to be the lamb of God to take away your sins. Nicodemus clearly still doesn't get this. And so Jesus lovingly begins to speak Nicodemus's own language. Nicodemus would have had a firm understanding of the Old Testament. And so Jesus will point to a story in the Old Testament to help him see what he still can't see. He'll say, hey, remember that moment when Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness? He said, just like that moment, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is referencing this moment in the book of Numbers. And I know we were all in the book of Numbers this morning. I, I mean, I know that that's like our favorite book of the Bible. Every time I talk to a Christian, I'm like, what are you reading God's word? They're like, Numbers. I'm like, get out of Numbers. There's other books of the Bible. I know we've all know what's happening in Numbers, but just for the sake of clarity, in the book of Numbers, which does have a lot of numbers in it, there's a story. And it's the story in which the people of God rebel from God. One of the many times they do that. And God in his justice sends these serpents. And the serpents begin to entangle them. And the serpents were a sign of God's judgment on them and his justice towards them. But in the midst of justice, God always sends a way out. And so the people begin to repent and they look up and they ask Moses, hey, what can we do? And God tells Moses, what I want you to do is this. I want you to take a serpent and I want you to make it bronze. And then I want you to hoist it up on a piece of wood. And if anyone would simply stop what they're doing and look up, they would see this. They would see that which was their sin pinned to a piece of wood. And so I don't know about you, but this is a weird story. Like, like, it's okay. Like, the Bible's weird sometimes. Bunch of snakes, snake on a pole. Like, that's weird. And it's weird what God tells them to do. Stop everything you're doing and look at another snake. Like, I don't know about you, but like, whenever I see a snake, I have like one of three responses. I'm either gonna go run away from it. My wife can attest to that. I'm gonna hide from it. Or if it's on me, like I'm focusing all of my energy and effort to get that snake off of me, right? Like I'm doing everything in my power to get that snake off of me. I'm either gonna run, I'm gonna hide, or I'm gonna, with my own efforts, like just try to get it off. The last thing I would ever think to do is to stop, look up at another snake. This is a weird moment. And yet what God is showing us is this is how we respond to sin and judgment. 
that we will either run, we will hide, or we'll try to fix us. And I love this picture because you see all three of those. You see people running away. You see people hiding. You see this guy covered in snakes and he's just trying to get it off. And yet in this moment, God is telling people, do the most unnatural thing. Stop and look up at my provision for your salvation. And Jesus points to this moment. And he said, just like that moment played out, he said, so too must the son of man be lifted up. That when people would stop running and stop hiding and stop trying to save themselves and just stop and look up at the son of God become the son of man to be the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world that in that moment, we would know fully one centralizing reality about God, which is that for God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, not behave before him, but believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. Stop running, stop hiding, stop trying to save you and see, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when you feel condemned, just know God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So often you think that God just wants to throw out condemnation on you. That is not our God. That's the enemy. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because what the law could not do, Christ did, God did by sending his only son to be the condemnation for us because whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is already condemned. You're already trapped by your sin and the snakes are pulling you away. It's already happening. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into our darkness. Light has come. Hey, Nicodemus, it's nighttime. But the light of the world is speaking to you. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest their works should be exposed. And he said there's another group of people. Whoever does what is true, which three times in this passage, Jesus will begin a statement with truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you. And each and every time he's focusing in on belief in him. So whoever believes in him, whoever does what is true, they are going to come to the light so that, they, they, that it might be clearly seen that their works have been carried out in God. So don't miss what Jesus is doing here. He's taking the formula that we are so under. I perform and therefore I'm accepted. I behave and therefore God likes me. I do. And therefore, God's going to accept me. And Jesus will take this formula of I perform and therefore I'm accepted. And he's going to flip it. He's going to look at you and in all love say, 
You are accepted in Christ alone, fully, without measure. Nicodemus believed, I must behave. Jesus says, you must believe. He said, I must try harder. Jesus says, you must trust me. I gotta perform to be accepted. And he goes, you have to believe that you are loved. And when you do that, when you see the son of man lifted up, you will know that you are fully accepted by God. And therefore, you live a life that's marked by that very light and that love that is God. Like a small cup under a waterfall, the love of God is crashing into us and our natural response to that love is to overflow with the love of God to love others. That when we experience the reality that I am fully accepted by God, that everything that I need to be accepted has been accomplished for me, the religious world says, do this, do this, do this. Jesus said, it's done. It's accomplished. What you need to be fully accepted by God has been rendered for you fully on the cross. What about my sin? What about the justice? It has been taken care of by Jesus the Christ. What about his righteousness? What about what I need to perform well before God? He performed for you. And when you walk in that reality, when you experience that reality, you will overflow with the very love of God and you will see in your life the fruit of that love, which is joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and above all love. When you walk out this, it will change your life because it changed mine and it's changed countless others. City Bridge, you are loved. So here's the reality. This conversation is gonna end. And Nicodemus will keep struggling with this concept. And we see Nicodemus again one other time. It's at the trial. And he's still torn back and forth between this, I'm accepted in love. No, I got to perform in love. And he's still torn back and forth. But then something happens. Then this rabbi that he had talked to is nailed to a piece of wood and is lifted up. And it says in that moment in John 19 that all of his disciples, all of Jesus' disciples fled him, but it says very specifically that there was a guy in the crowd, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. It's no longer night. It's in the middle of the day. No longer trying to avoid the social oddities of associating with Jesus, but now surrounded by his fellow Pharisees. And he looks up and he sees not just a rabbi, but the son of God who became the son of man to be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And something happens in his mind in that moment. The light bulb turns on and he sees the central truth of God for you, which is you are And he sees that. The snakes fall off. The scales fall off. 
and he knows the central heart of God, which is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would look up and believe in him wouldn't have to earn their acceptance before God because it's not possible, but I'm fully accepted by God because of the work of Jesus Christ, his love for me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, and therefore in that moment you see Nicodemus shed every bit of his performance-based acceptance, shed every sense of his social oddities of how to be associated with other people and try to earn this person's acceptance and earn this person's love, and he goes, I don't need it anymore. But when you read John 19, it says that he was one of the people that pulled Jesus's body off the cross. And I don't know how graphic your mind, but if you were to do that, you would be fully covered by the blood of Jesus, fully associating yourself with the God of the universe who just died for your sins. That would have made him ritualistically impure. And he goes, I don't care. Because I'm relationally pure now before the Father. Everything changes in that moment. And everything changes when we see Jesus for all that he is. So City Bridge, if you think God is unapproachable, just look at Jesus. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have doubts, Jesus will spend an entire evening with the guy. He's willing to answer your questions. He's willing to walk with you on this journey. If you're in here and you just feel so condemned because of your sin, look to Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in here and you wonder, does God truly love me? I know I accepted him, but I just keep drifting back to try to win his smile and win his favor. If, does he really love me? Does he really accept me? Look looked at Jesus. Because Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love to us. That is a present tense reality that God is currently demonstrating his love to you. And that while you were still a sinner. Christ died for you. And so I perform not to win God's smile, but because I already have it. Not to win the praise of man because I don't need it. My God loves me. And that's all that matters. So last story. I shared with y'all that I, I wrestled in high school. And my coach had a habit of, of leaving the mat if I lost. And there was this time I remember very vividly that I lost. And I got to the end and I let myself down. I let my team down. I let my coach down. He wasn't even around to, to come up to me, to comfort me, to do anything. He just left. And so I go and I sit down and I'm so exhausted. I tried so hard and I just failed in front of everyone. And I sit down and I just look down I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to be around anyone. And nobody really wants to be around me because I just failed them too. And in that moment, someone came up behind me and put their arm on my shoulder. And it was my dad. And if you can get over the fact that I had a lot of hair back then, <laughs> my 20s were rough to me. <laughs> you will see what I see in this picture and why this is my favorite picture of me and my dad. Because in a moment where I literally just failed everyone around me, 
my dad came to me. And I didn't have to win his smile. Because if you look closely at this picture, he's smiling at me. You know what he said in that moment? I have no idea. I don't remember. I don't remember if I won every match for the rest of the day or if I lost every match for the rest of the day. But the reason I remember that moment is because this is a picture of God's love for you. That no matter your success and no matter your failure, you have a God that will put his arm around you and smile upon you. Because City Bridge, God loves you. And if you're in here and you are just on that hamster wheel running and never arriving, stop and look up at the one who loves you and the one who cares about you because Jesus loves you. And the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. And so let's look at that love and let's live in that love because your father smiles on you. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.